Welcome, everyone, to the Bread of Life. I'm Joel Van Hoogen, Executive Director of the International Outreach and Discipleship Ministry Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bible Teacher at Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I invite you to go to cpeonline.org to learn more about our work in over 40 different countries and to learn about our ministry in the community, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Today we continue our consideration in the beginning of Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel begins with the genealogy of Jesus Christ and so demonstrates that Jesus' pedigree matches that of God's promised Savior to the world. He also introduces a Savior who will reverse all of the disappointed hopes through the long years of waiting for that Savior to arrive. Many babies were born in Israel after God's promise to send them a Messiah, many with the hope that they would be the one, only to present over time that they were no savior of men. But they provide the disappointing backdrop from which the rise of the one perfect star, Jesus Christ, is seen. Finally, this genealogy proves to us that this Savior has come to provide grace for all, all of those who may have thought themselves excluded from the grace of salvation. Well, the last thing I want to point out here, just briefly, is that this kingdom that is being introduced, this one who the people were waiting for, and the one who is bringing the salvation and is opening up a new kingdom, has room for the socially foregone, those are the socially overlooked, has room for the spiritual foreigners, and has room for moral failures. That's good news. If you go on and read through this, let's just actually read verses 2 through 7 for a moment. We won't read the whole genealogy, but let's just... Read through the next six verses here. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac begot Jacob. Jacob begot Judah and his brethren. Judah begot Perez and Zerah and Tamar. And Perez begot Hezron, and Hezron begot Ram. Ram begot Abinadab. Abinadab begot Nashon. Nashon begot Salmon. Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab. And Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse. And Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Let me go back and point out a couple things to you here. First, in verse 3, it says, Judah begot Perez and Zerah of Tamar. And then you read here that Salmon begot Boaz of Rahab. Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. And then you read here that David begat Solomon of her that had been the wife of Uriah. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Uriah. That's Bathsheba. It's kind of an interesting thing here that we have here first a listing of four women in this genealogy. What you need to understand is that the writing of a genealogy to prove the pedigree of a Jewish man, that was not uncommon. That was very naturally a Jewish idea. Putting the names of women in it wasn't, you see. That was not a natural Jewish idea. This is something the Spirit of God breathed in Matthew to put into this writing because women were not accorded the same rights in Jewish society as men were. Jewish men would rise up every morning and they would thank God that they weren't a Gentile, that they weren't a dog, and that they weren't a woman. That's how their prayer began each day. A woman did not even have legal standing. She wasn't even recognized as someone who could step into a court of law and give a witness or a testimony. She had no legal standing in her own country. She was socially, largely 
overlooked. That is, she was socially foregone. And here we find four women in the genealogy of Christ. The second thing I want you to note about this is that there is this mention of Rahab and Ruth. This is even a little stranger. Not only does Matthew put in the names of four women, but he puts in the name of four women who are foreigners to Israel. Neither one of these women rightfully belonged in the line of the pure heritage of Israel. Now, the people couldn't argue with it. They knew their biblical history. They knew that they belonged there, but I'm sure they didn't make it anybody else's genealogy. Matthew's just pointing out by the Spirit, hey, look here. When you look at David, look who David came from. And he brings up the name of these women, Rahab and Ruth. Rahab lived in Jericho. She was of the Canaanite people. She lived in the walls of Jericho days and months and weeks, years before those walls came tumbling down by a miracle of God before the people of God as they came out into the promised land. Ruth was a Moabitess. And she's a part of the lineage as well. Here's what Deuteronomy 23 verse 3 says about Moabites. It says this, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation, none of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. What does it tell us? Well, it tells us that God's laws are not fixed in stone. That God's mercy overrules laws when it has an answer in the Savior when it falls within his lineage, within his line. The third thing you'll notice here, so here, socially forlorn, four women, foreigners, outcast, two of the women. Look again and you'll see that the author seems to be digging up the most scandalous names of all because three of these four women are noted in Scripture as having quite serious sins in their lives. Tamar played the harlot and a seducer and an adulteress, and tricked her father-in-law Judah into conceiving a child with her. Rahab was a harlot as well. We're told that she was a prostitute. We don't know whether her prostitution was an expression of the religious rituals of the land and the people of the Canaanites, or whether her prostitution was merely the prostitution of industry. We're not told that. It doesn't really matter, does it? Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon was the counterpart to David's adultery and to his murder of her true husband in order to cover up his sins. Those are the three women's story. There you have them, socially forsaken, spiritually foreign, sinfully failures. And they wait as well. They have a dream as well. It's not just people who are seemingly good who have a dream and wait for hope and peace. Who have a secret, unspoken urging by the Spirit of God longing for something other than what they have. It's the disadvantaged. It's the disavowed. It's the defiled that also hope and dream. And this Savior comes for them also. For them, the wait is over. There's not an individual who is too cast off from the edges of society. There's not an individual who is foreign to all of, oh, the legacy of a righteous heritage. You know, I'm very thankful that in my life I had a godly mother and a godly father, and my children not only have parents who love 
one another and love the Lord Jesus, but they had grandparents who loved the Lord Jesus as well. This summer, we went to the funeral of my mother-in-law, and we went to the cemetery by a Mennonite church out in the Willamette Valley, and there I was able to, in the graveyard, and take my daughter, and within a space of about 10 yards, point out to my daughter where lied her great-great-grandparents and her great-grandparents, no, actually her great-great-great-great-grandparents, her great-great-grandparents, her great-grandparents, and her grandparents. And there's a legacy there, and it's wonderful. But a lot of you don't share that legacy. That's not what belongs to you. That's not what your history was. It wasn't what my father's history was. That's not where he began. But God answers the dreams and the longings, and he breaks the cycle of even those who are disavowed, you might say, foreigners sensing a spiritual foreignness from the things of God. And then there are others who just know that they've made a complete mess of their lives. They are utter, abject failures. They know it deep in their souls, and they also know that everybody else knows it as well. They can still dream, and they can still hope, and they're still waiting, and there is an answer for them. Jesus Christ comes to those who are overlooked with a call that says, come and sit alongside of me. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, he says those who have been overlooked and those who have been foregone, he says that he makes them to sit in heavenly places with him. That means that we have a representation in the highest place of all. That means that although we might not have a standing in society, we have a standing in heaven before the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have a standing for God himself. We are represented and our names are known in his presence. He offers to all those who feel that they're outcasts and outsiders and foreigners from a spiritual heritage that they now may be called the sons and daughters of God, and that they are. He gives us the heritage of the righteous. He makes us heirs, the Bible says, of righteousness. Heirs with Jesus Christ himself. One of the family. He invites sinners to come to him. Jesus says himself in Matthew 9, 13, I have not come to call righteous, but sinners. To these who come confessing, he offers forgiveness and cleansing so deep and so wonderful and so profound that he says our sins will never be seen by God again. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, beautiful statement. Speaking of what Christ has done for us in dying for our sins and taking our place in order that through him we might be cleansed and forgiven, simply says this, regardless of what your sin is, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So Matthew wants us to know at the very beginning, with the very first words, he wants to give us a hint of everything that's coming. For 4,000 years, the people of Israel had waited, and he wanted them to know that even though they had born and lived and died waiting, that finally the answer had come, that the waiting was over. And so it is for you and I who have been waiting. He has come. The wait is over. We find our rest in him. Let's bow our heads and let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we are filled with joy and gratitude for our Savior, Jesus Christ. What deep and profound condescension. What all-inclusiveness is found in him. He included me. He includes us. Listen, dear sinner, 
dear one who feels outside, he will include you. Come to him. We thank you and praise you, O God, that this Savior that was born may be born anew in the heart, of each heart that turns to you by faith, that we may cradle in our lives the King of the universe, the son of Adam and Eve, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God. We praise you. We glorify you. We long that this reality might dawn upon all here present. Their hope would not be found in a greater exertion of self-effort tomorrow, a greater assertion of their disciplines, just cleaning up their act, just getting a little more religious. Oh God, that they might see the hope and the end of all their waiting and all the deferred dreams is found in Christ. And I pray this hour and this morning, this season, this would be a season for dreaming for others, that you would reawaken and stir to the surface the longing in the hearts of men. And then, oh God, may we direct them to look to Jesus to find an answer to all they're longing for so that they with us can sing, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let men and women receive their King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bread of Life Radio is a represented ministry of the International Mission of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship of Boise, Idaho. To learn more about our work around the world, go to cpeonline.org or traincpe.org. And to learn more about our local fellowship, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Your financial gifts make possible this ministry and our work to make disciples of Christ among the nations. Until the next time, may God bless you.